I'm Pastor Booth. As I was just sitting here, it just occurred to me that this room is full of people. Everybody here is 18 or under, uh, the students. And that means you either, when we, we began Summer Sanctus 15 years ago, you either weren't born or you might have been as old as three years old. And that excites me. That thrills me to know that that small effort that uh, we were very nervous about in those days with about 50 students, uh, we were concerned whether we could pull it off, if we could figure out how to do it in a way that was safe, in a way that was profitable to young people and to our churches, and we just didn't know. And so we've been doing a lot of learning along the way, and to see this room filled with you who uh, were not on the radar for us at that time is extremely encouraging to me as a pastor. And to know that many of you are developing friendships and relationships that will continue for a lifetime. That you're here to encourage one another as believers in Jesus Christ to help as we all march to glory together, that we're not marching alone, that we have friends, we have family, we have many churches represented here, a lot of history But more importantly, we have a future. Uh, God is at work, as he always has been and still is, to do mighty things in the earth and to do them through you, to do them through me. And those little things, those little things you do every day that are faithful to him, have big payoffs down the road. And so I want to encourage you in that direction and thank you as well. Let's pray. Father, We give thanks for your kind providence that directs our lives, that even when we are doing small things and are uncertain, we know that your mighty hand takes those few loaves and fishes and your word, and you speak and you multiply them. And you not only feed the 5,000, but there's food left over. I thank you for these young men and young women. I thank you for their families and their churches and for all that is being poured into them. I thank you that you love them, that you died for them, and that they belong to you. I thank you that you've given them promises. You've given them your word. You've given them your spirit. And you've surrounded them with your people. So, Lord, I pray this camp, these few days, these few moments, these few talks might be moments of change of new beginnings, of little things that will turn into big things. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Our theme is life and death, and I want to talk to you today, uh, take a little bit different approach perhaps. Uh, I want to talk to you about life and death images, uh, and some images that I want you to carry with you, I hope. They're going to be simple. The first one uh, we'll get to in a moment is the image of a plant. And the second one will be the image of a path. So the Bible gives us lots of images. It gives us stories because we can grasp those. It helps us, helps our mind's eye to see things, to relate to things that we know. I think the parables are like that. To bring this to a place where we go through our lives and it helps us think about some of the bigger things, by giving us small things to look at and to relate to. And so these will be simple and yet profound. 
And I hope you'll remember them because you're going to need them on a daily basis. And if you forget them, it's going to be very costly for you. So I want to start with the word death. When we say the word death, most of us think about physical death, or we might think about a funeral. And of course that's true, or perhaps a graveyard. This is one of the deaths that we die, but it's not the only death that we die. Because there are many little deaths before that. And then there is, of course, the eternal death or the second death that the Bible tells us about. But today I want us to see a little deeper and understand what death actually is. When we die physically, we don't cease to exist. We haven't disappeared, but rather we have been separated from the source of life. So when you hear the word death, I want you to think of the word separation. Separation from something. Cut off. And so, uh, for example, Isaiah 59.2 says, But your iniquities, your sins, have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. That's a form of death, to be cut off from God, to not be able to commune with him, to talk to him or to hear from him. At the very beginning, God told Adam, and the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat you shall surely die. Now, we know that immediately after Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they did not drop dead physically. But the Bible tells us that what they did do upon immediately, and this is after they sinned, upon hearing God, uh, they it says, the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, Adam and Eve hid themselves from the presence of God. They used to walk with God in the cool of the day. They used to be in communion with God. And now they're hiding. Now they're separated from God. In other words, uh, in this separation uh, from God, who is the source of life, who is their, who was their creator, who is their sustainer and their savior, separation is death. By the way, this is what we often do when we sin, most usually. We hide from God. Instead of running to God to get mercy and forgiveness and help, we hide. And when we do, we die a bit. We're separated from Him. When someone we love dies physically, again, they don't cease to exist because they're going to exist as long as God does. They're eternal creatures. They're simply... In in that case, when someone dies physically, they're separated from us physically because that's the way we commune with each other is with our bodies, with sound and touch and all of our senses. And now, since the body is no longer able to do that, we are separated from them. And that might be temporary or it could be permanent, but they are still, they still consciously exist. Physical death cuts us off from communion with them. 
And communion is what's central to life. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit had eternal communion as a trinity. They created Adam and Eve. They created mankind. They told them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And so this community that's rooted in the trinity is designed for communion, to be with each other, to be... And that's where life comes from, is in that communion. Communion with God, communion with one another. Death cuts us off from people. And so... Uh, therefore, we don't have communion with them. Just a spiritual death cuts us off from God. And when those two deaths, physical and spiritual, are combined, we have what the Bible calls the second death, which is forever. The Bible also tells us that we have choices to make, and, and many of the choices, maybe even most, in some way, are life and death choices. They're not just about heaven and hell, though they do include these final destinations. These choices come to you and me every day. You will hear, will will you hear, will you believe, will you obey the Lord? Or will you, like Adam and Eve, decide to go a different way, to go your way, which will be the way of death? So I want to read Deuteronomy 30. Uh, For this commandment, uh, verses 11 through 20, For this commandment which I command you today is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. So we're talking about the word of God here. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend to heaven for us to bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? So in other words, the word of God is not inaccessible. It's not way off up in heaven, and it's not on the other side of the ocean. But the word is very near to you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, and to keep His commandments, His statutes, and His judgments, that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear, are drawn away, and worship other gods and serve them, in other words, you're separated from God and His word, I announce to you today that you shall surely Perish. You shall surely die. You shall not prolong your days as in the land which you cross over the Jordan and go in and possess. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, that you may cling to him. That's the opposite of separation. For he is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to them. So again, let me come back and and point out that God teaches us through images and stories. These are like children's books, which help us to see and understand important things. And in the Bible, we have many images, for example, of plants and trees. Uh, We have fig trees and olive trees and vines and branches, all of which are designed to bear fruit of some kind. 
figs, olives, grapes. Jesus said this to his followers, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you shall be my disciples. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain. And so fruit is the evidence of life. And so in our first image, I want you to think of yourself as a plant. How many of you like tomatoes? All right, well, I brought some. I grew these. I picked them last night. These are my favorites. Anybody like to try a few? All right. I'm not going to throw them. So uh, uh, here, a few of you, just here, pass those around until they run out. They're, they've been washed. They're clean. Just take one and don't handle all of them. And you can enjoy that fruit. If you don't like tomatoes, there's probably other fruits that you like. It could be grain. It could be apples. It could be all kinds of fruit, right? Um, so, uh, let me bring this over here so I can do it without dropping it. So I also want to share uh, with you uh, part of this plant. Here you go. You can take that home and enjoy it. There you go. That can be your souvenir from camp. And uh, there you go. And uh, Layla, come here. Layla really likes to grow things, so I'm just going to give her. <laughs> you take that home. There's even a couple of tomatoes on there you can oh, enjoy. Thanks. All right. Now, what's the problem with what I just did in handing the pieces of this plant to folks? And I told them to go home and enjoy it. Are they going to be able to do that? Why? Does that look dead to you? It began dying as soon as I separated it from the plant and certainly from the root, right? So... So if you just looked at it, you'd say, well, it looks healthy. In fact, the, the one I gave to Layla has little tomatoes on there, uh, little pieces of fruit. But the moment, the very moment that I separated the plant from the source of life, it began to die. And it won't take very long before you'll be able to see that, right? It'll begin to wilt and shrivel, turn brown, and it's of no use. So that's what death does and if you're a plant and you and you're connected to the root who is your creator your savior there's life but if you cut yourself off if you separate yourself from that source you may look fine today you make a a life and death decision and you separate yourself from god and you go your own way you begin to die and we might not see it on tuesday And we might not see it by Friday, but we will see it very, very soon. It'll start to show up in your life. You see, it is vital that you are constantly connected to the source of life. Jesus said, 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. At every moment when our sins separate us from God, in that moment we have stepped into the way of death and we have cut ourselves off from Him. Every time you choose to sin, every time I choose to sin, we have chosen the way of death, of separation. Your sins, even the little ones, always separate you from life and they cause destruction. Little deaths and sometimes big deaths. This is why every ethical choice you make is a life and death decision. Jesus said in John 15, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. He separates. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. When we break God's law, that is, when we sin, we die because we're separated from God, who is the source of life. And as true Christians, when Jesus removes our sins, of course, then we are united to him. We are brought back into communion with him. We are not separated any longer, and life is restored. And the Apostle Paul wrote about this in Romans 7, uh, 4 and 5. You also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him, that is, united to another, not separated, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, that is, when we were separated from God, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear the fruit of death. Life and death. Dead fruit is rotten fruit. It's corrupt, stinky, gross. And so this leads to our second image of life that I want to, that I hope you will remember as you go. So you are a plant and you're either connected to the root or you're not. You're either in the way of life or you're in the way of death. So our second is the image of life and death, which are the images of paths. Our roads. So I want you to see yourself, uh, always see yourself on a path. You're walking through life. You're walking day to day. And this path has many forks along the way. There are two main paths. One leads to life and the other to death. Proverbs 14, 12, and 16 uh, both say, There is a way that seems right to a man, but the way thereof is death. And you're on one of those ways right now. A path always, or a road, takes us somewhere. At the head of the path, we might or might not know where it goes, but it, but again, it always goes somewhere. And so we shouldn't, uh, I always like to remind everybody, don't go through every open door. Some open doors lead to elevator shafts. So you need to be looking ahead. You need to be knowing where you're going and what, where, where it leads to. In fact, you should know where every path or road leads before you start down it. At the end of, his ser- of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives this warning. Enter by the narrow gate, for, the wide, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction or death. And there are many who go by it, go in by it. 
Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. When I read that passage, I'm always reminded of Robert Frost's poem, The Road Not Taken. It captures a little bit of what I want to say about this. He says, I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere uh, ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that made all the difference. Following Christ makes all the difference. It'll make all the difference now. It'll make all the difference in your future, in your family, in your children, in your grandchildren. It matters what you do today. It matters what road you're on now. It matters where you're headed. In this image of the path, we see that you and I are faced with constant choices between life and destruction or life and death, both now and eternal. Gates lead somewhere. Roads lead somewhere. The difference is their destination, and these are inescapable concepts. It's true for every single one of us. So what that means is that right now, as you sit here, your life has a trajectory. You know, if we were to fire a cannonball out of a cannon and follow it, uh, people who understand those things, uh, uh, munitions, could, could do the calculations based on the weight and the, the power of the explosion, the speed, the velocity of the projectile, the gravity, the wind, all those things. They would know, they could predict where that's going to land. Right as it leaves the cannon, it's already headed to a certain spot. That's you. Now, the, I want to I talk back up and talk a little bit about what Jesus says here about the wide gate, the narrow gate, the wide road, the narrow road. The thing about the wide gate is that it's easy for you to just go with the flow because there's a crowd of people going that way. You just kind of hop in and, and go where everybody else is going. All you have to do is drift. Uh, drift with the crowd. Your friends will set the pace and direction. G.K. Chesterton put it this way, a dead thing goes with the stream, but only a living thing can go against it. The wide gate and the broad path is the path of least resistance, the path that seems natural. It's the road that accommodates every belief, every philosophy, every lifestyle, Every degree of religious devotion uh, from fanaticism to atheism and the name of this road is go along and get along. This broad road is a crowded road and one of our great temptations, of course, is conformity. Everybody else is doing it. No other reason. I'm doing it because everybody else is doing it. So if you're to avoid death and destruction, then you're going to need some moral courage to not go with the crowd. God is not going to judge you by what other people are doing. And as you walk down the path of life, you're never alone. You know, I remember uh, my dad teaching me, one of my earliest memories is when I was... uh, Uh, not quite five years old, and my mother had gone to the hospital to give birth to my younger brother, and I got to sleep in the bed with my dad. 
that something I didn't get to do, but I remember us talking, and I remember him telling me how much he loved me, and I remember him telling me, uh, God always sees you. God always sees you. Um, the children's catechism says, can you see God? And it answers, no, but he can always see me. That might be one of the most important lessons any of us can learn. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of wisdom. And as you walk down the path of life, therefore, you're never alone. If you close the door of your bedroom and lock it or put on your headphones or try to block out everything, he's still there. He still sees you. He knows your thoughts. And he knows them from afar. You might think you have kept it a secret or that you can be the exception to the rule, but the Bible reveals this to us, Hebrews 4.13, and there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Psalm 139, O Lord, you have searched me and known me, You know my sitting down, my rising up. You understand my thoughts afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. So as you're walking down the path, if you are following Jesus, then there will likely be times when you're the only one who is. Let me commend you. That if you'll take your stand for Christ, God will honor you and bless you, and he will open doors for you that you've never imagined. Now, this is the broad road. Not only is it crowded and wide, but it's deceptive. I cited Proverbs 14 and 16. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the way thereof is death. You see, the devil is leading a parade to hell. And he'll make it very, very attractive and easy on the front end and very hard on the back end. There's an old story titled The Children of Hamelin by Jacob and Wilhelm Grimm. You might know it as the Pied Piper. I want to read a a portion of that story, and I want you to see what I'm talking about, uh, of how there are all kinds of things out there trying to lead you to a bad place. In the year 1284, a mysterious man appeared in Hamelin uh, Hamelin, and was wearing a coat of many colors, bright cloth, uh, for which reason he was called the Pied Piper. He claimed to be a rat catcher, and he promised that for a certain amount of money, he would rid the city of all the mice and all the rats. The citizen struck a deal promising him a certain price, and the rat catcher uh, then took a small fife or flute uh, from his pocket and began to blow on it, and the rats and the mice immediately came from every house and gathered around him. And when he thought that he had had them all, he led them to the river uh, Wesser, Uh, Besser, where he pulled up his clothes and walked into the water, and the animals all followed him in, and they drowned. 
Now that the citizens had been freed of their plague, they regretted having promised so much money. They didn't want to pay him. And using all kinds of excuses, they refused to pay him. And finally, he went away bitter and angry, and he returned on June the 26th, St. John's and St. Paul's Day, early in the morning at 7 o'clock. Others say it was at noon. Now dressed in a hunter's costume, with a dreadful look on his face and wearing a strange red hat, He sounded his fife in the streets, but this time it wasn't rats and mice that came to him, but rather children. A great number of boys and girls from their fourth year on, among them was the mayor's grown daughter. The swarm followed him, and he led them into a mountain where he disappeared with them. All this was seen by a babysitter who, carrying a child in her arms, had followed them from a distance and had turned around and carried the news back to to the town. The anxious parents ran in droves to the town gates seeking their children. The mothers cried out and sobbed pitifully. Within the hour, messengers were sent everywhere by water and by land, inquiring if the children or if any of them had been seen, but it was all for naught. In total, 130 were lost. Two, as some say, had lagged behind and came back. One of them was blind and the other mute. The blind one was not able to point out the place, but was able to tell how they had followed the piper. And the mute one was able to point out the place, although he had heard nothing. One little boy in shirt sleeves had gone along with the others, but had turned back to fetch his jacket and thus escaped the tragedy, for when he returned, the others had already disappeared into a cave within a hill. So let me warn you, this world is filled with Pied Pipers, and they want to lead you away from your parents. They want to lead you away from your God, and they will lead you down the broad road, which is a fatal path that leads to destruction. The Bible says the way of the ungodly shall perish. Now the narrow gate Jesus spoke of, you see, there is only one narrow choice that leads to life, both temporal and eternal, and every other choice leads to destruction, temporal or eternal. When Jesus tells us this, he's not trying to spare our feelings. He's trying to spare your life. He has described the road and the path and the way and the method of getting to life. And so let me ask you today, are you going to decide to go your own way? Because that would be utterly foolish. You see, there aren't a hundred or a dozen or even two ways to life. There's only one way. A line can only be straight one way. It can be crooked a million ways. Only one gate, one road, and it's narrow. Now, I'm going to remind you of some things that most of you have been taught since you were born. Jesus himself is the narrow gate and the narrow road to eternal life. John 10, Jesus said to them again, most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. 
I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and they may have it abundantly. Jesus said again, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Think about that. God Almighty, for whom all things were possible, had only one way of saving the lost. The only way God could remain just and justify us was for His righteous judgment to be poured out upon His Son, who was uniquely qualified as the Son of God and the Son of Man to stand in our place condemned. Now, all of you have already faced some choices, many choices. You have, uh, you've had to decide which gate to enter and which road to travel. And no doubt, some of your choices have been wise and some of them perhaps have been foolish. We all do foolish things, but the Bible reserves the title of fool for those who keep on doing foolish things. Will you follow Jesus or won't you? Your baptism was that narrow gate, and upon entering that narrow gate, you were set upon a difficult path. On this path, there will be problems and difficulties. It'll be rough. It'll be crooked at times, but it'll always be leading upward. And so Jesus calls you to pick up your cross, to die to yourself, to take up your cross and follow him, and to do it every single day. It's a path full of challenges and self-denial, and I'm sad to report that we have all seen young people and sometimes older people who abandon that path and who deny their baptisms. The universities are full of Pied Pipers. Your friends, some of them, perhaps a boyfriend or a girlfriend might be, a Pied Piper. Like Lot's wife, they leave Sodom, but find themselves looking back longingly. One more thing concerning little deaths. You're being lied to every day. The world is full of sirens. You know that story, right? Greek mythology. These were the creatures that were half bird and half woman who lured sailors to their destruction by the sweetness of their song. There's all kinds of things out there calling you, calling you. Look over here. Isn't this cool? Isn't this attractive? Don't you want to look like that? Don't you want to be like that? On his way back from Rome... Uh, from uh, Circe, Odysseus knew that he and his men must sail past the island of the sirens. These were marvelous singers whose voices would make a man forget all else. And at last their song would steal his life away. Moldering skeletons of those they had lured to their death lay banked high up all around them where they sat singing on the shore. Odysseus told his men about them and and that the only way to pass them safely was for each man to stop his ears with wax. 
He himself, however, was determined to hear them, and he proposed that the crew should tie him to the mast uh, so strongly that he could not get away however much he tried. Thus they did and drew near the island, all except Odysseus, deaf to the enchanting song. He heard it, and the words were even more enticing than the melody. They would give knowledge to each man who came to them, they said, ripe wisdom and a quickening of the spirit. We know all things which shall be hereafter upon the earth, they said. So rang their song in lovely cadences, and Odysseus's heart ached with longing. But the ropes held him, and that danger was safely passed. Young men and women, there are many siren songs that would draw you away from Christ, take you to a new path. And so I urge you not to trust your own wisdom, your own resolve, your own strength to keep you from giving in to those seductions. You need the wax of God's word to plug your ears. You need the rope of Christian brothers and sisters the church to bind you to the mast of the Christian faith. You are in a total war that never lets up at any point, and therefore you can't let up at any point. You have to fight the good fight. In front of all other questions should be this foundational question, what does Jesus want me to do? What path does he want me on which one does he want me to take does he want me to go to school where and why how does he want me to treat my girlfriend or my boyfriend does he want me to marry and if so who does he want me to marry what church does he want me to be a part of which friends does he want me to spend time with how should I spend my money These are all life and death decisions. Never forget there is a sudden, dramatic, terminal, fatal event that can bring about a permanent separation. As I get older and I look around, uh, what happens, and my my father turns 90 uh, next week, and my mother will be 89 in August, and I've certainly talked with them a good friend of mine told me the other day we went to school together and he said uh, uh, brother we are in the last quarter and my dad I told him that and he said well I'm down to the two minute warning but you know what as you know there are no guarantees that we're going to get to the last quarter and no guarantees that you will you could decide to drink and drive or take a pill with fentanyl or a thousand other ways you can have your physical life abruptly ended. You are never too young to die. But there are also, and this is really my point of this talk today, there are slow deaths, what I call little deaths, that you face every day. Another fork in the road. Will I choose life or will I choose death? Will I follow Christ or will I go down my own path or the path of the crowd or the path of my best friend or 
what my boyfriend wants to do or what my girlfriend wants to do? Will I say yes or will I say no? It could be as simple as that. We start the Christian life by dying to ourselves. The gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus is that our sins can be forgiven and we can be restored to life. I can't take that tomato plant and reattach it to the root. That's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Instead of being separated from him, which is death, we're united to him in communion, which is life. And each Sunday, we culminate our worship service at the Lord's table to remember this. We come to that communion table to remember who he is and what he's done for us and to remember who we are and why we are here. We're followers of Jesus. And so I want to conclude today by reading just a handful of passages here that I think relate to this and then we'll close in prayer. John 5:24 Jesus said, "Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment but has passed from death to life." Deuteronomy 30 We read some of this earlier, 15 and 19. See, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil. Those are the choices. That's what's on the menu. In that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, to keep His commandments, His statutes, His judgments, that you may live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. I call, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants, that's your children and your grandchildren, may live. I am thankful to look in my family history and to know look, there, there were lots of bad choices made. But I can find those ones where the grace of God showed up and people followed Christ. And then I look, turn around and look at what happened because of those decisions, those commitments, those choices. And it's overwhelmingly joyful and full of life. Three more from Proverbs. As righteousness leads to life, so he who pursues evil pursues, pursues it to his own death. Proverbs eleven nineteen, Proverbs twelve twenty eight. In the way of righteousness is life. In in its pathway, there is no death. Proverbs fourteen twenty seven. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, to turn one away from the snares of death. Father, we thank you for your word, the words of life. We thank you for a Savior who rescued us from death. We thank you for our baptisms, which declared that we have been washed and cleansed and the sin has been removed and we are no longer separated from you, but in fact have entered into a covenant of life with you. We are united to the risen one, the living one, the eternal one, 
So help us now, Lord, as we go forth to live our lives, as we face all those forks in the road. May we always follow Jesus, that we might know life. We pray in his name. Amen.